We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. IB Nation, welcome to the Irish Breakdown Podcast. We are live here on a Wednesday. Is today Wednesday? Yeah, yeah it, it is. Wednesday. Of course it is. Midweek rundown day. I'm sorry, man. These days are starting to it's okay, man. really file together, man. Hey, we get it, Ryan. You got a one-and-a-half-year-old at home. You got a baby on the way. We're just glad that you're showing up. Yes. So yeah, thank, we're thank, ready to rock and roll. Thank God for the... The, the quick assistance of my phone that I click on the screen, it tells me what day and date it is. So we are here live on a Wednesday for Notre Dame midweek rundown, which if you haven't been watching this series we've been doing on Wednesday, basically this is like our, uh, it, this is basically a formatted. So we're going to take multiple topics that we kind of want to talk about from the week. Some important topics could be Notre Dame related, of course, could be college football related and really spurn, I think some, great conversation and today we're going to be talking about three really interesting segments one will be on the, of course we'll talk about 2023 being a vital year if you were on the podcast yesterday or you listened back later there was a great question that came up about how much of a disappointment nine and four season would be if Notre or, Dame or, or would it be yes right how would it be yeah. if they were in 2023 yeah. if Notre Dame went nine and four in back-to-back years so we want to talk about just how vital of a year 2023 is. We're also going to talk a little recruiting in the middle section, talk some bellwether recruits. Bellwether meaning, of course, players and recruits that show you that this this staff, this roster, this program are really moving to the next level. Whether they're beating some big-time programs, they're winning some battles that maybe they typically would not have won in the past, and getting players to commit to this class that really could take this team to the next level. So we'll talk that, and then we're going to talk about transfers and specifically about some players that have chosen to transfer from Notre Dame this offseason because there's another great conversation that happened in the Tuesday show about the fact that we now have had Logan Diggs transferred to LSU. You've had Tyler Buckner transferred to Alabama. You've had Lorenzo Styles transferred to Ohio State. And I wanted to beg the question of, should we be rooting for these players at their next stops and, and hope that they have great success? Or should we be hoping that they maybe do not have the greatest success or do, should you not care altogether? It's a great conversation that we're going to have. 
Before we get into it, of course, that like button, subscribe to the podcast, five-star reviews, all that great stuff. Ryan, I know the first conversation that we're going to have here, though, is one that is probably going to be a little lengthy because it has to be a little bit. Sure. Talking about 2023 in its entirety, how vital of a year it is, not only for this program, but for the perception of Marcus Freeman as a head coach. We know that he is a great recruiter. We know he's a great human being. We know that he's a really smart defensive coordinator and defensive mind, but we have to be true to ourselves and be truthful about the fact that we still need to have proof of how good of a head coach he can be, some tangible proof on the table. So this is a big year for 2023, man. This is a vital second year for Marcus Freeman. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. And notice we said 2023 year, not 2023 season, because it's a combination of the the season and how you finish on the recruiting trail, because recruiting now ends basically for Notre Dame in 2023. I mean, in the end of the calendar year each year, because they're pretty much done by signing day in December. That's just kind of where Notre Dame is. Now they may get a kid or two, you know, in February. We'll see. Hopefully they get a couple because that means that they're in on some big time kids because now it's really just like the big time kids that don't sign early for the most part. But your class is pretty much going to be decided as well. And, And really what it comes down to, Ryan, is this is here's why this year is important. And we'll talk about what degrees there are and what this team has to do. But here's here's what it comes down to. Right now, it's not that the shine isn't off the rose, so to speak, with Marcus Freeman. Sure. But we do now have a body of evidence of some good things and some not so good things we saw from him as a head coach in year one. And, you know, those things kind of boiled down to obviously you had the bad losses to Stanford. You had the bad loss to Marshall. You know, you lost to Ohio State and USC, and and some of those things are understandable. I mean, you went on the road and lost to a pair of top 10 teams. You were competitive in both games, especially the Ohio State game. You led for most of the game, really, until I think Ohio State scored with less than a minute left in the third quarter. And, and um, you know, but then you had some big wins as well. You know, you won six of your last seven. You, you just absolutely destroy Clemson, give them, like, one of the worst beatdowns they've had in the regular season in a long time. You you go into the the postseason. You beat a South Carolina team that ended the season red hot with wins over Tennessee and Clemson, and and you beat them without some of you know oh they were missing their best players. Well, you know Notre Dame was too, right? So so you know no Cam Hart, no Michael Mayer, no Isaiah Foskey. Don't at me with this whole they were missing good players thing. 
because they had as many top players back as Notre Dame did. And they went out and, and, and got the W. And, and so you saw a team that, to me, I thought showed a lot of poise last season when things went wrong. A team that, that had poor leadership early, that developed strong leadership later. I think that was something that impressed me. Uh, every time things seemed to hit the fan, they were able to get these guys focused. You know, you talk about Marshall, you start your season 2-0. and It would have been very easy for that team to go completely into the tank. You're going on, you know, you, you're facing a spunky Cal team early. You're able to get that W, kind of get yourself a little momentum, and then you go on the road the next week and smack a North Carolina team that finished spent most of the year ranked in the top 25. And played for the ACC championship. Then you go out and you beat BYU in a game that wasn't really as close as the final score. Then you have that, oh, man, the Stanford game. Oh, so brutal. And then what do you do? You rattle off five straight wins after that. And really, one of the most embarrassing losses that Notre Dame has had in a long time, that game was. When you talk about the fact that it had been over a calendar year since Stanford had beaten an, an FBS team. And how do they bounce back? They, you know, they, they beat UNLV. And, and really... They struggled to put UNLV away late, Ryan, but they yep. jumped all over UNLV in that game. I mean, they came out and it was it was twenty three to seven at, at the end of the first quarter. It was 30, 30 to seven at halftime. Right. They just didn't put them away in the second half, but they came out, especially defensively, came out ready to play in that game. And you know, so and then they rally, but then it's just kind of like, okay, nine and four. Still sort of a, an okay year, disappointing year. You were preseason top five. They should have been ranked higher than they than they finished, meaning not that they were gypped out of a ranking, but more so they should have been better than what they ended up in the rankings. They just, they should have. And so there were some lessons learned from Marcus Freeman, but you're at the point now where I don't think the shine is off the rose, but you are, but that's what makes 23 so important. Because if you don't, sort of bounce back this year than it is and it was it's going to become so much harder for Notre Dame to, to, to recruit because I think that a lot of people complain about NIL and the transfer portal and all this kind of stuff and, and I, I I'm convinced Ryan that that stuff has been helpful for Notre Dame but it could be damaging if Notre Dame's not in the right place and we haven't really seen anyone be able to negatively recruit against Marcus Freeman really effectively yet right because most kids and parents and high school coaches are like, look, it was year one. He, you know, th- they understand the reasons why you weren't as good as you should have been last year. Right. And so you're still getting a little bit of a pass. Go nine and four again, have a disappointing season again, go nine and three with a couple bad losses. And all of a sudden it's like, uh, uh-uh. great recruiter, excellent defensive coordinator, but he's not a great head coach. That's what's gonna. That's gonna be the thing that people are gonna say. Now we could argue it's too early to make that determination, but that's what's gonna be the pitch, and it's gonna sure. make recruiting a lot harder. And now, I think the NIL stuff and those other things become a lot more damaging because the whole "I want to play for Marcus Freeman" thing isn't as impactful, right? That's the concern. But then there's the flip side. If you have the success on the field this year, you look at this team and say. Now, how do you recruit against Marcus Freeman and his staff? That's going to be the so question. True. That's really what's at stake for Notre Dame this season, Ryan. I, I think so, because I think talking to recruits last year, especially in like before the 2023, well, during the 2023 cycle, during the 2022 season, I think what you saw, Brian, for me is that there was a big leap of faith with some guys, right? They're like, Marcus is that dude, love him, great personality, 
great defensive minds, all that great stuff, right? Parents love him, relatable. He he had everything working for him. But I think this offseason is much more now. There's a lot more 2024 recruits, I would even say, because I agree, the, the, the shine isn't off yet. But I do think that there's more of a targets on the back as far as like, hey, let, let's watch a little bit, right? Like, I need to see a little bit out of this thing, right? So there's still going to be players that are very much attracted to Notre Dame just off of Marcus Freeman and the and the future and the mission and all the things that are involved there. But I do think that there are definitely going to be some recruits. And I think it's fair, right? Like, if I was – I'll use one as an example. If I was Elijah Rushing, for instance, right? I think I would be like, you know what? I need to see it a little bit first, like before I make that determination. There's still going to be some guys that are just going to be like, nope, I believe in it. I don't need to see anything. We're good. But I do think that after a 9-4 and season, there is much more to a claim for some kids and some parents to be like, hey, let's make sure this is real first, right? There was a couple hiccups year one. Was it just a transitional period thing? Is there a lapse somewhere in the program, either from the top up? Or was it just the transitional year? I do think that that conversation has happened for some. I And I think that it should have happened, honestly. Mm-hmm. If I was a parent and my son wanted to go to Notre Dame, removing my Notre Dame bias away for a second, I would say, we know that guy is a great charismatic person, but we need to see if he can develop you into a great football player. We don't know that 100% yet, right? So I think looking and just kind of taking a step back, I think that that is a – very much a conversation that had to be had this off season. But to your point, Brian, nine and four or worse in 2023, then it's like, man, I'm not sure. I'm not sure if this is a thing right now. Like I'm not sure if this mission is real because to your point, and I agree with it. I think a lot of people do agree with it in this community, especially Notre Dame has enough talent to potentially make a sure. playoff run this year. They do. And that's the perception well, is that you just brought yeah. Sam Hartman in. And what was the excuse for years was that, hey, we're really talented, but we haven't figured out the quarterback position. We just brought in a quarterback all of a sudden. So if Notre Dame is not successful from a win-loss perspective this year as much as they should be, I do think that you have to, again, not sound the alarm, but like you do need to take a step back and be like, man, I need to evaluate this a little bit. And that's not me evaluating for like, should Marcus Freeman have a job or not? But as a recruit, I need to evaluate this a little bit deeper, a little bit more. So I think 2023 is vital from the recruiting side of things, man. I think it matters so, so much to how how impactful this staff can continue to be on the recruiting trail that we've seen a lot of glimpses of great things, obviously, in the, in the first two cycles under Coach Freeman. So there's a couple ways to look at this. Okay, what does success look like? What do we need to see? It's not just, oh, have X record. There's a lot more to it than that. Obviously, on-field success is key number one, right? And you need to have on-field success. And, and, and that means a, a lot of different things. So step one, to me, on-field success, and this is the opportunity because it's not just looking at it from the negative point of view. I want to look at this from the positive point of view, mostly. We've established what the negative is, but what what happens if the positive is established this season? And here's what those things are going to look like. These are going to be the determining factors. Is your big game success or lack thereof? You've got three huge games on the schedule this year. And then I would argue you've got about four other really important sort of next level games that people aren't going to, they're not going to be the sexy, you know, teams like releasing their, you know, outlets. Hey, here's the top 10 non-conference games of the year. And like two or three Notre Dame games are on there like every year. Right. Somebody's going to have the Ohio State game. Somebody's going to have the Clemson game. So it's going to have the USC game. A lot of people have two. Some may even put all three of them on there. They're going to be huge games, 
right? I mean, they're all top 15 teams, consensus top 15 teams. A lot of rankings have all four of them in the top 10, or at least the three teams uh, that we're talking about ahead of Notre Dame. That's USC. I mean, excuse me, Ohio State, then USC, and then at Clemson. Yep. What's Notre Dame's record in those big games? One and two could have you still having a pretty successful, you know, good season, you know, took a step season. I would be a little disappointed in it, to be completely honest with you. Yeah. But perception wise, as long as you win the rest of your games, there's still a hey, you know, you went eight and four, you improved on it two games, you went 10 and two, et cetera, et cetera. And then then it comes down to, okay, well, if you're going to do that, you better win your bowl game. Right. Whatever bowl game you're playing in, you, you better win your bowl game and finish 11 and two. 11 and two would have went because 10 and two gets Notre Dame into a, a pretty decent bowl game, right? I mean, it's going to be some yeah. SEC team or some Big 12 team. And, and you're going to have a chance to go get a sort of a statement bowl game win against an LSU, a Tennessee, something like that, right? Or maybe even a Georgia, Alabama, if one of those two teams doesn't make the playoff or is, you know, the three seed or something along those lines. So you have an opportunity there to have that kind of win in the postseason. All of a sudden, you're 11 and two. And 11 and two against this year's schedule, to me, is a lot more impressive than 11 and two from 2021 or 2019 when you literally played three ranked teams all year and went one and two in sure. 2019. Or, in 2021, you played one ranked team all year and they beat you. That was not an impressive 11 and two season. Then you look at like Kelly's 2017 season where they went nine and three, and you're actually like, that was a pretty freaking impressive nine and three record. Now, the loss to Miami was a bad loss. Sure. But you beat a lot of good teams that year. I mean, to get to nine and three, you had to beat a lot of good teams. So give me that nine and three over the 2021 11 and one because oh. I have some big games to point to. Yeah. Now, this year, to me, you want to say, I want to err on the side of, okay, but now get me the 11-1 and one against a good schedule, that schedule, right? That's the progress as a program. But you've got to have big game success. That means the three regular season games, and that means success in the postseason, whatever level of postseason success or postseason game you're going to have. If it's a major bowl game, if it's a New Year's Six game, if it's a playoff game, you've got to go out and have success in those games because Notre Dame still has not won a – New Year's Six game since what, 1994, I believe, right? January 1st, 1994, when Notre Dame, I mean, think about it. The last time, think think about this, the last time Notre Dame won a January 1st bowl game, a current commit in the 2024 class and a top target in the 2025 class's dads were on that team. Think about that. (laughs) Bryant Young and Jim Flanagan. Yeah. And another 2024 or 2025 recruit in Jerome Bettis Jr.'s dad had already left Notre Dame the year before. That's how long it's been. Yep. And so, you know, you you look at it and and it comes down to it to where that's a needle mover. That's something that has not been accomplished in a long time. Yes, 11 and 2 to me would probably be a little disappointing if you go 1 and 2, but you're making up for one of those losses with a big season-ending win over a big-name program, and that at least gets you moving forward. I may say, hey, look, that's not as good as this team could have been, but you took a step forward as a program. And right. now, all of a sudden, the, the 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 mantra about Marcus Freeman changes from, well, he's a little bit of an unknown to, hey, this guy had some big flipping wins this year. You combine that with the win he would have had over Clemson last year, and all of a sudden it's like, hey, you know, this, this guy's – they're not there yet, but they took a step. That that to me is 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 a key. I I think it's doing things that you haven't done in a long time, right? Like we we always talk about the not winning a championship since 1988. But to your point, Brian, the 
not winning a major bowl since 1994. Like that's a, that has a monkey on your back right now. I mean, not literally last year's Gator bowl was the biggest one they've had since that, that year. I mean, as far as like style, of, like top, top game. I mean, the, the, the next closest you could argue is the camping world bowl over LSU in 2017 that's is gross. the next closest, but I would even, you know, I don't even think that one's there to be completely honest with you. Yeah. yeah. I think the I mean, Gator bowl is the biggest bowl when they've had. Yeah. Which I mean, one's so- bigger. Yeah. No, I mean, you're not wrong. I mean, they, they, they had Oklahoma state almost, but you know, that's another conversation for a different day. Right. But I mean, to your point though, coach Freeman, I think from a, it doesn't have to be a year to year perspective, but in his tenure, he has to accomplish things that Notre Dame fans of this generation of this era, my age bracket, especially had not witnessed before. Like that's the next step of things, right? You talk about the big bull wins. You talk about, the flip of the the expectations from the recruiting side of things. And I know we'll get into the second section here about the bellwether recruits, but that's another part of this conversation where you go and say, Marcus Freeman is changing a narrative. And I think that that narrative has to change under him. And he has a chance to do that. That is what yeah. is on the table. I mean, because again, Brian, I know, again, some people will say this is bias or whatever, because we cover Notre Dame, blah, blah, blah. But from my perspective, I truly think Notre Dame can compete this year. I do. I do. I think that they are at least a New Year's Six Bowl type of team. But I think that they can potentially make a playoff berth. I really do, man. I do. And with that in mind, when you have that expectation so high and you have as much talent as you have with Notre Dame, how does Marcus Freeman show that he is that guy to hit expectations or exceed them? Like that's the thing is you can't under – you can't underperform to what the expectations are. And I think that's what Coach Freeman has the opportunity to do. And I think he can do it. I really do. It's just about getting this team to buy in going into the 2023 yeah. season because I, their talent is there, man. It just is. And, and getting and pushing the right buttons. And then that can that leads us down to the next part of what on-field success looks like, right? If you go one and two against the top teams on your schedule, okay, that's disappointing. That's exactly what you did last year. You lost Ohio State, you lost to USC, you beat Clemson. But why was last year viewed as not successful? It wasn't because they lost Ohio State and USC. Most people understood that. It was, how the heck do you lose to Marshall and Stanford? Right. So I think the next step for Coach Freeman that he has to show this year as, as, a, as the head of the program is he's got to show that he can lead this team to be a more consistent football team to where one week you're not blowing out Clemson and then two weeks later or a week later you're struggling and hoping that Navy doesn't get one more possession at the end of the game because you haven't stopped them in an hour, right? I mean, it's, it's yes, you look great against BC one week and you blow out BC a week after they, you know, beat NC State who was ranked in the top 25 and you whoop Syracuse con- convincingly and you whoop North Carolina convincingly and you – you know, you give BYU a, a pretty good thumping, and and they made it close late, but it wasn't that close. But then you barely beat Cal. You lose to Stanford. You lose to Marshall. Right? It's it's that consistency of. You saw a little bit more of it later in the year, but even within that five winning five of six down the stretch, Ryan. Even within that, you still had a level of inconsistency because the team that played BYU looked nothing like the team that played. And the team that, or excuse me, the team that beat Boston just obliterated Boston. Now, look, BC was not good. Right. But they did to BC what you're supposed to do to a team that's not good. And I, I, I'll say again, BC was coming off of a two-game stretch where they barely lost to a good Duke team and yeah. then went on the road and beat a top 25 NC State team. And, and Notre Dame absolutely annihilated them. 
I mean, annihilated them. And BC oh, that game really... was never even competitive. That game was right. never even competitive. Yeah. yeah. I mean, and and you look at like, Florida. Everybody talks about good Florida State's going to be this year. Well, they 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 beat BC by thirty. Clemson, they beat them by twenty eight. You know, Sam Hartman's team beat them by twenty eight. Wake Forest beat them by twenty eight. A lot of their other games were more competitive. Notre Dame annihilated them. And, and it, like you said, it could have been a lot worse. If it wasn't it for the been. snow and yeah. Notre Dame yanking their starters pretty early in that game, it could have been a lot worse. Yeah, they called off the dogs in that one. Big time. And, and, yep. and should have, to be completely honest with you. You, you were playing yep. a really wounded animal at that point in time. It's like, do you really want to embarrass them? You know, and, and especially with the snow conditions, you don't want to risk injury. I was good with – I thought they put them away pretty good, pretty effectively. Yep. But then it's like it's sandwiched in between those is the Navy game where you couldn't figure Navy's defense out for an entire half. And you couldn't stop Navy's triple option in the second half of that game. You had no answers for the different things that they were doing. It's just like even within the good, you still found some stuff where like, boy, this team has to be more consistent. Yep. And that's going to be another key factor for me, Ryan, is can this team play with a greater level of consistency than what we saw last season? Because I look, I have a lot of criticisms of Brian Kelly's utter inability to beat any team with a pulse and his ranking against top 25 and top 10 and top five opponents speaks to that. He was not good against teams that were ranked and he was really bad against teams that were in the top 15 or higher at the end of the season. But the one thing Brian Kelly did throughout his the sort of his second life at Notre Dame, which is post 2016 is they always beat the teams they were supposed to beat. No doubt. And yeah. so that's why you were winning 10 games every year, because they always beat the teams. I think you had like 40-something straight wins over unranked teams, something absurd like that. That deserves credit, because you, you we've seen teams get knocked out. Ohio State's playing for the national championship in 2018 if they don't just sleepwalk through a game in West Lafayette, Indiana in, in October of 2018. Right? Yeah. That's what kept them out of the playoff. 12-1, and one, that's what kept them out of the playoff. Was was that the Rondell Moore game? Rondell was yes. like insane that game. Yeah, right? it went yeah. off, yeah. and then they yeah. ran the ball in the fourth quarter and just put that game away. Yes, that's exactly yeah. the game it was. Yeah, and you say, boy, imagine that playoff that year with Dwayne Haskins, Kyler Murray, Trevor Lawrence, and Tua Tungvaloa as the four quarterbacks of the four teams in the playoff that year. Be decent, right? or <laughs> or who would they have knocked out? Who would an, an, an undefeated Ohio State team have knocked out? Probably knock out Oklahoma. And so now Bama in round one has to go play Ohio State instead of Oklahoma. Yeah. Or or Notre Dame gets Alabama in round one. And I would have liked to have seen that game. I thought Notre Dame matched up a lot better against Alabama that year than they did Oklahoma. Or, I mean uh, Clemson, in my opinion. And then it would have been Clemson and Ohio State in round two in round one. So, you know, all those things happen, but it's it's just can you show up and answer the bell week after week after week and beat the Marshalls and beats the Stanfords. That's something that coach Freeman has to prove. Cause if he can do that, Ryan, if he can beat all, so we're talking, we're talking obviously Navy, we're talking NC state, we're talking Tennessee state, we're talking central Michigan, Duke, Louisville, Pitt, Wake Forest, and Stanford, right? right. That's yep. the nine non quote unquote big games that you're going to play. You got to win all those games. If you do that, Ryan, no matter what happens in those other big games, you've at least answered one question, and that is you've eliminated the whole, well, hey, you lost to Marshall and Stanford thing, which right now is something – what is something every non-Notre Dame fan says whenever you're debating Notre Dame right now? Well, you guys lost to Marshall and Stanford. You lost to Marshall. Oh, man, I literally saw it on Twitter yesterday. Yeah. Saw it on Twitter yesterday. Okay, that doesn't have anything to do with what we're talking about, but sure, whatevs. (laughs) You can talk about that. 
But that's, a, I mean, if we're if we're having an honest conversation about something that Marcus Freeman needs to show as a head coach, that is a valid criticism to say. It's sure. a stupid, petty response to like something that has nothing to do with what kind of team Notre Dame was last year. Yeah. But that's something that Coach Freeman has to show. And that's another step that's going to be very important for him to show this season because it shows the ability to really have control of your team from start to finish. And that's a very important piece to being a great head coach. I think so. Yeah. I mean, that that's, that's a big thing. I mean, Brian, I mean, I, I think that the point that you made is that last year it was just so inconsistent from a week to week perspective. I mean, forget about the one and two against the pillar games that I always call it right against the Ohio state Clemson USC. It was that you couldn't depend on this team. I mean, BYU was a game. I remember the North Carolina and BYU were games in that season where you were just kind of like, okay, I think North Dame is figuring it out a little bit, right? Like they're starting to turn a corner a little bit. They're starting to understand themselves. They're starting to mature. And then Stanford happens, right? And then that Stanford game happens. You're just like, I don't, I don't get this team. Like, I don't understand this team. Like psychologically, I don't get it. And that's where I, I will chalk that one up to a first year head coach figuring out his football team. I will, I will give him that one, but year two, that can't happen again to your points. The progress from year one to year two, you can't give them a pass this year to not beating the Stanford level teams, the, the Marshall level teams. That needs to be beneath you. And I understand again, we talked about it, and someone even asked about it, Brian, as far as like the the leadership in things that were happening in the beginning of the season and not buying in from some players. And and there were things, and this is real, there were things that Marcus Freeman needed to figure out in year one and fix uh, as far as the formation and understanding of what this program stands for and how they're going to buy it. There were some difficulties in that regard. Year two, we have seen this offseason. Some people were moved. Some people went pro. This is now Marcus Freeman's football team. This is his. This is his staff. This is his football team. And he has to take that massive hold and be like, year two is the progress to show that all everything I did last season – was a learning experience, and I am learning because that's right. ultimately what he's going to be judged upon is well, what his improvements are as a head coach. Just think about what this Notre Dame football team would be judged as right now if they simply beat Stanford. If everything else pans out the exact same way and all they did different was they beat Stanford. You're talking about a team that you would have said, hey, look, before losing to a really good USC team in a game where they were better, USC was better than Notre Dame that day. There's no debate about it. We have said before a couple things. Boy, if you just make that one stop, you know, at one point, or if that first drive of this third quarter, I feel if Notre Dame goes down there and puts the ball in the end zone and scores there, I think they have a shot to win that game because I don't think USC would have handled it well. We've seen that. But those things didn't happen. And the way the game played out, USC was the better team from start to finish because when USC needed to make a play in a tough situation because Notre Dame was coming back, they made them. Every time Notre Dame needed needed to make a play on offense or make a stop, whether it's fourth down, whether it was third and short, USC's defense made those plays. Notre Dame's offense didn't. Or USC's offense would make those plays in third and short, fourth fourth and short, whatever the case may be, and Notre Dame didn't. They were the better team. And so, but it was a Pac-12 title winner. USC was a really good football team last year. You had the Heisman Trophy winner. People would have said, hey, you know what? Dude, you went out there and went nine and three. You won nine straight games after that loss to Marshall. You beat everybody you're supposed to. 
You smacked, I mean, smacked Clemson. You handled your business, went into a bowl game, won a game, and you're 10-3. and three. I know it seems silly to say this, but a one-game difference where one of those, that one game puts you from a single-digit win to a double-digit win completely changes the, the perception of this football team coming into the season. I, I guarantee it would have, and rightfully so. You'd have been like, dude, you won 10 of your last 11 games. This is a hot football team. And the team that beat you during that stretch, they got to come to your place now this year. And you actually have a quarterback this year. But that Stanford game just still kind of lingers over your head of, but we don't know if this team can answer the bell every week. Hey, this team could go out and beat Ohio State, USC, and Clemson and still go 10-2 and if you don't improve that, right? I mean, am, am I saying anything wrong? I mean, you lost to Marshall and Stanford last year. We know you can play with Ohio State. You did it already in your first game as a coach. We know you can beat Clemson. You absolutely annihilated them last year, and we know that you can beat USC. They could win all those games and still not be a playoff team because they don't answer the bell every week, which is what we saw this year. Right, and that's what you have to avoid. You can't. Yes. You, you, you need to have some big game success, but just as important as establishing dominance in those games that you're supposed to be dominant. Because the last thing you want to do, especially with ACC opponents. Ryan, you've had a pretty good track record of blowing ACC teams out. You still have that going. Yep. And 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 not blowing them out, but you you win. I mean, Can when was the last time they lost an ACC regular season game? 2017, right, to Miami? I think that's the last time they've lost a regular season game to an ACC team. Now, Clemson beat them in the ACC title game and in the playoff in 2018. But in the regular season, Notre Dame's like creeping up on like 30 straight wins, if not over 30 straight wins over ACC opponents. They haven't lost a regular season game. They play minimum four every year. They haven't lost a regular season game to an ACC team since 2000 and, um, 2017, be the loss to Miami. Because in uh, they lost to Stanford at the end of that year, Pac-12. 18, they didn't lose any regular season games. In 19, they lost to SEC and Big Ten. In 20, they lost. Uh, they went undefeated in the regular season, correct? They went 10-0 yep. in the regular season. Yep. And then in 2021, they only lost to Cincinnati. And then last year they lost to a Big Ten team, a Pac-12 team, was it Conference USA team, and well, two Pac-12 yes. teams and a Conference yeah. USA team. So you you can't lose that dominance, right? And you've got to still establish up. Hey, we still are the best ACC team. I mean, that's the re- that's the reality of it, right? Because that's important come playoff time and, and major bowl game time as well. Is hey, we're still the dominant program in the ACC. And and you have to you have to be able to do it, especially because what's a big recruiting area for you? It's ACC country right now. You're you're doing great in ACC country. I mean, ACC country is a big part of Notre Dame's success right now in the 2024 class. Yep. You know, you've Carolina, got three kids from yeah. the Carolinas. You got a kid from yeah. Virginia now. You got a, a couple kids from Georgia. Three kids from Georgia in your class. Like, you know, that's ACC country, and you're trying to close this class off with guys in in, in ACC country. So that's a that's a big that's a big part of of the success there, Ryan, is being able to beat the teams you're supposed to beat, right? Yep. And that's step two for me. And it it goes with step three for me, Ryan, which is this staff has to show that they can develop talent. Not that they haven't shown it, in that we've seen a lack of success. It's just when you haven't been some, when you haven't been somewhere long enough, you have no track record of doing it. So year one, okay, they didn't. Now in year two, they need to show that. And what is development, Ryan? It's taking the younger players with talent. There's a lot of ifs about this football team, right? right? 
the success you're going to show is can you take those ifs and turn them into yes, no, that's that's the yeah. deal. And yeah. that's going to be so important. And that right there is the key to the first two things we talked about. We really could have talked about that first, but I wanted to talk about the game success first and then get into some of this other kind of stuff. And development, being able to develop your football team, the culture of your football team, which you talked about earlier, is vitally important. But you also have to be able to develop the players. And that's going to be – that right there, Ryan, is honestly is going to be what determines if this team can be as good as it should be this season. Is Can they can Al Washington develop a talented but inexperienced – and un, well, I would say inexperienced, unproven from a production point, point defensive line – can Chris O'Leary develop the secondary? Can Chancey Stuckey develop a talented but unpro- unproven receiving core? Can Dylan McCullough, you know, overcome the loss of Logan Diggs and get those talented other backs ready to go? Uh, can Can Jared Parker develop the tight end room now that Michael Mayer's gone? And can Joe Rudolph coach the offensive line even in the same league as Harry he- in, in universe as Harry Heastan? The development that's going to come from that is going to determine if those first two things we talked about get answered uh, positively. And if not, then this is going to be a disappointing season. If it does, it not only results in a positive results, Ryan, but it completely changes the one narrative. The I say the one question mark about Marcus Freeman, and it's a question mark because he just hasn't been doing this long enough to prove that he can or cannot do it as a head coach. Well, and, and I think that for me, I mean, you talk about this on, on the college level or the NFL level. When coaches come in, you always need to give them a grace period to get their guys in the room, right? And and that talks about the staff side of things. That talks about the player side of things. But we have now seen Marcus Freeman have a full year of recruiting. Obviously, he was a part of the recruiting process in the 2022 cycle, but he has his full year of 2023 he was also a part of obviously the process of bringing in some transfer portal kids this year. So the acquisition of talent, this is much more Marcus Freeman's team this year from a roster perspective than it was last season. You're talking about a lot of guys, or most of the guys that were recruited by coach Kelly in the, in the previous staff, you now have a bigger influx of players that were recruited by Marcus Freeman on the staff, which says that there's an imprint there. Now, We've talked about this, and I think it's a perfect example in the 2024 class, Brian, of like, and actually 2023 as well with the defensive line, is that I believe that Notre Dame has been recruiting as if they believe that they will develop talent at a high level because they've been taking a lot of high upside players. You want to talk about Armel Mook and Bubakar Traore, Brandon Vernon in the 2023 class on the defensive line. You want to talk about some of the guys on defense that they've recruited in the 2024 cycle, guys that maybe aren't college ready from day one or year one, but year two, year three, if they're developed properly, they have a high upside to them. And I have to think that with that ideology on the recruiting side of things, that tells you that Coach Freeman and his staff are confident that they'll be able to get the most out of their players. But at the end of the day, have to show it. Right, you have to, and we don't have any data points on that. I think that's the scariest thing, is when you don't have data on something. Right, it's a leap of faith. I can't, I can't tangibly say that that is going to happen. That that's an absolute. That he's going to get the most out of those players because you've never seen it before. And it's no shot against him. It's literally if I started a new job for the first time, how do you know I could do the work until I do the work? You have no idea that I can do that work properly until until I show that I'm capable of it. 
and I'm sure that I'm able to make things happen and to get stuff done. It's the same thing here. This is the first year was a little bit of a data point. How can you recruit? What are the on field look like? What are the day to day look like? What is the formation of everything? Year two now is a new step of more data that you're going to be able right. to gather to say, is this guy the guy? I think he can right. be. I do. I believe in Coach Freeman. But you, you said the right it. word there, Ryan. What was yeah. the second word you said in that last sentence? Belief? Think. Belief? Okay. I think. Okay. I think he is that guy. But now it's you got to show it because the more he coaches without proving that, the more the easier it is to negatively recruit against Notre Dame. Because the best negative recruiting is negative recruiting that's true. And then sure. at that point in time, it's not really negative recruiting. It's just speaking facts. facts. <laughs> yeah. Right. You know, and, and you know, that's kind of where it comes down to is you have to be able to – the results have to do it. And, and we've talked about this. Why did Keon Keeley go to Alabama? Because Keon Keeley knows that if he goes to Alabama, he's going to get developed. It's not now, a guess for him. It's not just, every kid yeah. is developed, but there's sure. that just assumption that – because why? It's the track record. And Marcus Freeman, to me, I think has shown he can develop as a defensive coordinator. But when you're the defensive coordinator and, and you have the success that you have, people can still say, well, Luke Fickle was the head coach, blah, blah, sure. blah, blah, blah. Well, that can't be said now. It's just Marcus Freeman's team. And to your point, this team is going to be so dependent on guys that that never played for Brian Kelly or played very little for Brian Kelly's staff that you can't say, well, hey, this is really about Brian Kelly's success or whatever the case may be. This is his, like, like you he's, mentioned, like it, right? he's this riding the staff. coattails or something. This team right, is going to yeah. be so much, there are going to be so few players on this team that were in Brian Kelly's system longer than they were in, Mar- in Marcus Freeman's. Very few. Yeah. Joe Alt is not that person. Blake Fisher, Sam Hartman, Audric Estime, your entire receiving core. Like you're, you're almost your entire offensive football team are guys that played one season or zero seasons for a Brian Kelly coach football team. And so, but at the same time, you can't blame Brian Kelly either. Yeah. You can't say, well, you know, we inherited this, that, or the other thing. No, no. You've had two now seasons to recruit in the transfer portal. You went out and you had success in the transfer portal class. This is about you. And so that, that adds to it. But now all of a sudden, Ryan, you start to see that development come now that just so so the premise was kind of you know you need to do this so teams can't negatively recruit against you but the other side of that coin is Ryan that also means you now have things that you have more sort of tools in your tool shed so to speak when you're on a recruiting trail something hey, yeah right, right now yes right now it's like okay well we this is what we want to do this is what I'm going to do and it's working to a degree on the recruiting trail Right. But if it's like, hey, you know, it's us or Ohio State, and what are the things that matter to you? Well, coach, I want to get a great education. Okay, that's a win for us. I want to play for a championship. Right now, that's check Ohio State. Sure. Uh, I, I I want to because Ohio State has won a championship in the playoff era. They've had two playoff games that were just they've they've won another playoff game. They won one in twenty twenty. And they've had two other playoff games where they, it went down to the wire and they had the chance to win the game at the end. They had a chance at the end of the Clemson game in 2019 to win and Justin Fields threw an interception. They had a chance to win last year against Georgia and they they and, and they threw an interception. So Notre Dame has two playoff games where they were never competitive. 
right. really. I mean, you could argue for a quarter and a half they were competitive against Clemson, and I've argued that game was closer than the final score, but it was not a game where you thought, gee, Notre Dame could have won. It was more of a 17-13 to 13 game than it yeah. was a 30-13 to 13 game, 30-3 game. Excuse me, it was more of a 17-3 to 3 game than it was a 30-3 to 3 game. Be the defense played better than the 30 points and 500 yards they allowed. The offense was terrible the entire game. You weren't going to win that game because your offense couldn't compete. And your offense is, to me, why you gave up more points than you did. But you still weren't competitive. No matter how you slice it, you weren't competitive. Sure. And so, to me, Ohio State has ammunition to say, hey, look, you come here, you can play for championship. And they're they're being truthful. They, they literally just took the defending champs and team that eventually won it down to the wire, had a chance if they don't miss a field goal at the end and have a couple bad plays at the end, they win that game. And, hey, I want to I want to go the NFL. And now why am I using these three examples? Because these are the examples that Marcus Freeman said uh, when he was hired that these are the three things that uh, it was on, the, I think, the Chris Zorch show. He's like, look, we need to be able to tell, show kids that we're we've got a that we're tremendous academically. We've got to show kids that we can compete for they can compete for championships here and we can develop them for the NFL. Right yep. now, if you're going against Ohio State, you have two checks to Ohio State and one check for you. That's true against Clemson. That's true against Bama. That's true against Georgia. And they're always going to have the academic thing in their favor. But when you're talking about the best recruits, that's not enough. Right. Nor should it be. If I was advising, if my son was a five-star quarterback with an opportunity to go play in the National Football League, and that was his dream, I'm going to make sure that wherever my son goes, if that coach, especially now in the, the transfer area, if that coach does not put a plan in place to make sure my son gets the best education he can at that school, he and I are going to have problems. But I do know that this guy is going to go out there and if I'm, if I'm not going to say it, I'm not going to say it. I was going to say something. Blasphemous. <laughs> I know what you're going to say. I know what you're going to say. <laughs> okay. I'll use Texas as an example, right? So if my kid uh -huh. was like, Hey, I want to be a big time quarterback. I say, look, let's go talk to coach Sarkeesian because I know my kid can get a good education at the university of Texas. Is it as good as their sure. names? No. It's but I have a yeah. much greater track record of success sending my kid there, knowing he's going to get developed to be a big-time quarterback and a first-round draft pick than I do at Notre Dame. That's just a fact, Ryan. It, it's just a fact. Mm -hmm. When that starts to change, Notre Dame becomes super dangerous on the recruiting trail, and that's the development piece. That's what we need to see. We need to see Jordan Patejo and Riley Mills all of a sudden being talked about as, holy moly, here's another one. If they can take Javante Jean-Baptiste and turn him into a playmaker, it may not be fair because of how much talent Ohio State had, but that's going to be a great feather in your cap when you're recruiting against Ohio State for defensive linemen. Hey, sure. that kid did this there. In five years, they couldn't get this kid here. In one year, Coach Washington turned him into this. And Well, those guys said, well, maybe they should have played him instead because look what he did, right? It may not be accurate, may not be fair, but that's what teams Part are doing to Notre Dame right now. <laughs> right, yeah. Right? Yeah. It's a feather in your cap. Uh, and so those things all factor into it, Ryan, to where you now have some bullets in the in the magazine that you can utilize when it comes to recruiting against those top teams. Did you not see what we did to this kid? Right. Like we took Thomas Harper and turned him into such and such. You know, we took we took well, Benjamin Morf. 
like Benjamin Morrison turned him into this when he wasn't even a top 300 recruit. I, I right? was thinking about, I was thinking about if, if let's say Joshua Burnham has a big season where you're just sure. like, Hey, Elijah rushing. See what we just did with him. He was playing linebacker. Yeah. Years ago, like quarterback. It, it, it could like, be, what? it could be Batelho because you could yeah. say that you could say the same thing there. Ryan dude was the start. It was a Rover in 2021. He was a sure. Rover. Sure. And now he's a, you know, he's a, he's now a, a 10 plus sack guy. He's six two two fifty five. Elijah rushing. What could we do with you at six six two fifty? That's a great point, Ryan. Hey, we lost Isaiah Foskey, right? 14 tackles for loss, 11 sacks, number 40 overall draft pick. Jordan Patel steps in, and bam, he's right there. You know, Riley Mills moves inside. Boom, look what he's doing. We develop Javante Jean-Baptiste. He goes to Ohio State, comes here. He's an 8-9 sack guy. NFL's now calling. That That's the development we need to see. That's the important piece. And here's the thing, too, Ryan. That then leads to you winning. When those things are happening, Chancey Stuckey taking the the potential at receiver and turning it into production where, you know, in a perfect world, if I say, hey, what is the dream scenario for Notre Dame? The dream scenario is that is is that in in January, after the postseason, Deion Colsey or Jaden Thomas have a decision to make about their futures. Sure. And it's a decision of do I stay or do I go pro? Right. that's the ideal situation you want to be in, right? It's where, you know, Blake Fisher's got to say, you know, I'm going to be a top 20 draft pick. Do I want to come back and maybe try to be a top 10 draft pick or do I go now? Audric Estime has to make that decision. So those are where you want to be. You want to be in those yeah. situations because that means you developed the talent and turned it into something. And that's that's what kind of gets you a little excited, Ryan. And, and that's what really helps you on a recruiting trail. But that also, more than anything – helps you go out and win football. It helps you be more consistent because you're going to get the most out of your players on a consistent basis, and then it helps you go toe-to-toe with the best teams because you can't just out-athlete us. Ohio State can't out-athlete Notre Dame. They can out-coach and out-play Notre Dame, and that's exactly what they did last year. But Notre Dame didn't lose to Ohio State because Ohio State had way better athletes. They had to grind that game out, and they did. Yeah, they did. And they did. They out-coached Notre Dame. They made some decisions where Tariq Bracey goes down, Notre Dame makes a poor call. Ohio State does the smart thing and goes right at the injured, the guy that just came off the field. And next thing you know, boom, that's a huge play. Huge play. That's coaching. That's coaching. You outcoached them. You know, Ohio State found some weaknesses in the Notre Dame defense in the fourth quarter. Notre Dame could never identify that in the Ohio State defense. They got outcoached. They didn't get out-athleted, in my opinion. Same thing against USC. They got outplayed at one position, in my opinion. That was quarterback. That was the biggest difference. The rest of it was coaching. And in my USC had a great game plan. USC said, We're not going to let your quarter, we're not going to let your run game beat us. Yep. And Notre Dame played afraid of Caleb Williams. They coached afraid of Caleb Williams, and that allowed the run game to get going. What, what with what we said all along was to me, Ryan, was when you are in that game, make Caleb Williams beat you. Don't let the run game beat you. Yeah, because that's what they, easy. that was the mistake they made. Right. And that's what Utah did. Utah said, we're going to make Caleb – because we don't think your offensive line and your receivers are good enough to, to, to beat us for 40 minutes if it's just the Caleb Williams show. But sure. if you're balanced, we're going to have a hard time beating you. And, and they were balanced against Notre Dame. Quarterback's best friend is a run game, man. That's Quarterback's right. best friend is a run game. It really right. is. It makes things so much easier. Talk about the RPO game today. Talk about the play-action game. Like – that stuff is just so advantageous for good quarterback play. Brian, I would also say just from 
a fan perspective for a second. Aren't we tired of just talking about the glimpses a guy shows, right? Oh, man. Jordan Botello on those three snaps last year was so fantastic. Could you imagine if he puts it all together? Tobias Merriweather for his one catch of the season, a 41-yard touchdown. Imagine that at a full volume. Sure. This player, wow, man, you saw it for that one game, but it doesn't tangibly turn into a season. I'm tired of that, man, and that's development. And that is development sometimes from the player's perspective, but more than anything, it's from the people that are developing them mm-hmm. on a day in and day out basis, strength and conditioning, coaching. That that has to be a more consistent thing. I mean, I'm so tired of just remembering the brief glimpses of right. Kevin Stefferson, you know, catching a couple of big plays and this player and that player. It's just tangibly, you need to start developing at a higher level. I agree with you 100% because as a Notre Dame fan, that's why I get so frustrated when the narrative gets pushed out there of, there's no talent on Notre Dame's roster. They lack talent. I'm just like, that's not true. Some of it's not refined. Some of it isn't developed enough, but there's talent on Notre Dame's roster. There is. Right. And I they need to show it on a more consistent basis, to your point. They need to. Here's the final piece to this, Ryan, that, that's going to be key for Coach Freeman this year. That comes to what kind of coach are you really? Unless they win a national championship, there's area for there's room for improvement, right? So whether they go nine and four and are disappointing and when that's when changes are easy to make, or let's say they go 11 and two, are you a coach that's able to look in the mirror and say, we did pretty good this year. We got to get better. We didn't recruit well enough at this position. We didn't develop well enough at this position. And I got to make some tough decisions after this 11 and two season. That's something that, that Nick Saban and urban Meyer were masterful at. They would look at 11 and 2 and say it was good, but it wasn't good enough. And here's the areas where we got to get better. Some of it's things that you can control. I didn't do enough to make sure that we were good enough here in our preparation. That's on me. It's going to get fixed. At the end of the day, you also have to be willing to say, hey, coach, so and so, I appreciate what you've done, but it's just not good enough. And we, we got to get better here. And uh, you got to make a change because short of a national championship, there's there's got to be room for them. Now, could the exception be you go 13 and 0 and you play somebody really good in the title game and it's a back and forth game and it's a great game and they're just better than you that day some some 2019 LSU team type team emerges this year and yeah you play them down to the wire and you're like bro nobody was beating that team but you know what we gave them a game right like his like historically there's very sure. few teams that beat that team like sure just, right yeah. like that's a different story right so there's always exceptions yeah. but i don't right. see that team emerging it's an, out, this it's an, outli- it's right. an outlier it's an outlier situation exactly. yeah so that's a final thing too is can he make the tough decisions As, you know because that's the one concern i have he's hired a lot of guys he knows and he trusts and i hope it works out but here's the deal they can it can be a lot harder to to remove those guys if they're not getting the job done because I know him, I know his wife, I was there for the birth of his child. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like those can be really hard decisions to make unless you have no soul, right? For Urban Meyer, they didn't seem very hard for him to make because I don't. I think he's just a completely immoral person who has no like moral conscience whatsoever, right? Yes. yes. I don't think those decisions are super easy for Nick Saban, but I think that he makes them because they need to be done because that's his job. Uh, Dabo Sweeney has a really tough time with that sometimes. 
And I think that's something that's maybe held his program back the last couple of years. Seems like he's learning from that, though. Seems like he's learning a little bit. Right. And the Brandon Streeter example is a perfect example. But you could also argue, but it was so bad on offense that he had no choice. Sure. Right. And so, you know, Loyalty is a good thing, but sometimes it can also – you've got to find that balance between who am I most loyal to, this assistant coach or the players, my team, myself, right. my family, right? And and that's that's the tough decision. And, and, and will he be able to identify those needs and be able to make those changes if this team doesn't live up to its expectations? That's the question that we're going to – and it's not just about, I mean, the team could be really good on the field and you say, hey, man, boy, these guys did a great job coaching. I'll yeah. use Chris O'Leary as an example because, you know, Ryan, you and I think he's an excellent football coach. Yeah. But what if he does a really good job coaching safety this year, but the rec- the safety class stinks? Yeah. you got to be willing to say, hey, look, Chris, we got to do something about this. What is it that you're going to do? Is it, okay, we're going to shift our, our focus, we're going to do this, or is it, do we got to make a move? Because making a change, Ryan, isn't always about – firing a coach and bringing in someone new. Sometimes it's about, we're going to have you do this. We're going to, we're going to, we're going to make sure that we do this. We're going to, it's changes. Aren't always firing people. Get you an extra analyst or something. Exactly. Yeah. 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 There's, there's lots of different ways that you can make a change. Yep. That's like sometimes firing someone's just, it's the lazy thing to do. You fired this guy, but the reality is he wasn't really the problem. It was the way that you were doing this, this, or this. It was the supports around him. Right. Yeah, right. Yeah. And so you might, you might have, you, you found your scapegoat, but you didn't actually address the problem. And it's just going to keep happening. That's not what I'm referring to. Sometimes, however, that is what it means. Making a change does mean I got to bring in somebody different here. But it's not always what it means. It means, hey, whatever we're doing right now in a recruiting trail with you ain't working and we need to figure it out. Right. We need to sit down and figure it out. We're going to go over your logs. We're going to go over. We're going to you're going to tell us kind of how you approach things. I may have Chad and me in the room a couple of times when you're talking to a kid. We're going to we'll figure it out, but we got to fix something. We got to fix something with this. Maybe it means Mickens more is more involved in safety recruiting now or something. That's what changes mean. It's not always fire, dude, but it does mean you can't just do what you did. It could mean we need to hire two additional analysts this year to take some of the evaluation burden off of O'Leary or yep. some of the the prep work for this so he can now spend more time in recruiting. Or sometimes analysts and those guys can do recruiting, and there's levels of recruiting that they can do. Right. So those are all things that you look at. But can he identify the problems? that keep you from being a championship team? And it, does he have the ability to make the tough decisions to fix them? That's, that's the ha- question. That's that's the hardest part, honestly, for a lot of people to your point. Like, isn't it? I mean, it, it's because it's, it's hard. I think for people at times to be able to take a step back and re- truly evaluate when you're so close to the product, you know, like you have, some people have just convinced themselves that I structurally every day we're doing the right stuff and we just need to keep working at it. And we need to keep plugging away and put our heads down. And sometimes people are so close that they can't remove themselves from the situation and be like, you know what? We could do that better. That could be better. We could do this differently. So I think that's the hardest thing for some people. I really do. And to your point, Brian, like you're in a situation where Marcus Freeman has complete ownership over this team at this point. You have 
the coaching staff that you want, right? You have the co- the players that you want. You have the role that you want. You have all that stuff. But you also must need to be understanding that you are still only a second-year head coach, and you need that un- developmental understanding of like, hey, man, I'm not the best version of myself every day. Because, I mean, what do I say all the time, right? The minute you stop growing is the minute to find something else to do, right? You have to be constantly evolving and growing on a year-to-year basis. And I think that that, w- that self-advocacy, that self-evaluation, that stuff is so important. But unfortunately for some people, it's really hard to remove yourself from a situation at times. It's not an easy thing, but I think it needs to be when you're head coach and the guy that is a CEO, the leader of a program, the guy that makes the final call. That stuff is very important. So that's kind of where we look at, Ryan. And then the final piece is this. You've got to close on the recruiting trail. And that's going to kind of transition to the next topic when we get to the next topic. But before we get to that – Hit that like button, folks. Hit the subscribe button. Hit the notification bell. Share this podcast. If you're listening via podcast platform, please give us a five-star review. And guys and gals, sign up for the message board at boards.irishbreakdown.com. I promise you, you won't regret it. We got a lot of cool stuff we're already doing, more cool stuff that we're going to be doing. Got some some all-22 film out. I'm going to start breaking down some O-line stuff. I'm going to put some O-line film breakdowns on there, some defensive film breakdowns on there this summer. We're going to have a lot of fun stuff on there. So definitely make sure that you are signed up for the message boards at boards.irishbreakdown.com. headlines remind us daily the world is a dangerous place the elites in charge say everything's fine stop noticing but you know better and your gut knows that time is short to prepare for a world that is four missed meals away from chaos my patriot supply has helped over three million families become more self-reliant and is the company americans trust to prepare go to mypatriotsupply.com and secure their best-selling three-month emergency food kits each contain delicious breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Secure at least one food kit for each family member. For a limited time, save $200, plus get free shipping on all their Ready Hour 3-Month Emergency Food Kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour Foods. My Patriot Supply also has solar power generators, water filtration units, biomass stoves, heirloom seeds, and critical survival gear. 
Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com.